It's the Nachum Siegel Network, and this is the OU Jewish Reaction Program. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, right here at NachumSiegel.com, and of course on the uh, NSN app. And um, uh, today this program is airing uh, just after our Pesach Products Program has uh, concluded, uh, is scheduled to conclude. Uh, the annual Pesach Products Program which brings together an amazing collection of people, a great panel to discuss so many different things that uh, you need to know before the great holiday begins. Um, so I felt it was appropriate that Rabbi Schoenfeld, who was with us, of course, as rabbinic coordinator at the OU for over 30 years and was with us as a panelist during the uh, JM and the AM pre-Pesach program, that he joins us and ties up some loose ends for us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Rabbi Schoenfeld, Rabbi Yoel Schoenfeld, Rabbi of the Young Israel of Kew Gardens Hills and uh, Rabbinic Coordinator at the OU for more than 30 years. Welcome back to the Nahum Siegel Network. Thank you. Always great to be with you, Nahum. I appreciate that. You know, I was going through the um, I was going through the OU booklet, which now is no booklet anymore. Now it's a now it's a full fledged magazine. Soon, I think to be a book, frankly. Right. And there's a section starting on page 26, called The Modern Kitchen. Yes. And I wonder if, in general, as they describe items like uh, the types of gas stovetops we have today and the self-cleaning ovens that are different than yesteryear, and the Kerrig coffee makers, which I guess some people are desperate to make Kushla Pesach, others might just you know set it aside and deal without having it for, <laughs> for an entire week. Um, the refrigerators, of course, more sophisticated than in the past. I- I'm wondering if the... Uh, if, it, if, if this whole area of modern appliances is much more difficult than it was in years past, if one becomes knowledgeable about what to do with all of these or with the ones that concern them and their family, are, are these doable? Is it, is it with relative ease that one can kosher everything? Or are we facing now in 2016 a very uphill battle when trying to do that? Wow, great question. And uh, the, the short answer is that, yes, things uh, are becoming more complex, as they also are becoming easier, but really they are becoming more complex because you have things like Keurig that people want to have and they feel that uh, can't live a couple of days without it, uh, microwaves, dishwashers, um, and now uh, throw in uh, glass, glass top stoves. How do you pressure them? Right. Uh, and in addition, you have uh, there's, a, there's been a whole brouhaha recently because the OU got uh, entangled with another major cautious agency over the Shabbos Yuntif mode ovens. Uh, then there are claims that they're really they're very lacking because you open up a door and and guess what a light does go on and a fire does go on. And uh, so uh, there's a lot out there that's still um, uh, you know unknown an uncharted territory. But uh, and then refrigerators have become more complex right. because everything's digital and lights are digital and nothing is just a, your old grandmother's light bulb. So yes, things do become more complex, no question about it. I mean, for the I'll give you an example. You know, there are faucets now that, as you know, you know, you turn it on and you have instant hot water, right? And that's a, a tremendous convenience. It, it seems from right. my investigation here with the OU booklet that that type of um, appliance or, uh, you know, extra, uh, as long as the, you know, filters and nozzles are removed and as long as it's done, you know, in a way that it's actually taken apart, it, it seems relatively simple to kosher for Pesach. Now, maybe I'm just not familiar enough, you know, with those, with those items to, to make a statement like that. 
But it seems that you know has a has a a solution at least and a relatively easy solution, while other items may not. Am I right about the sink faucet? That those if they if they are if they do come apart relatively easy can be costured relatively easily. I'm not even sure they really have to come apart. You're talking about the instant hots. Yes, they do. Uh, the instant hots uh, you know, offer boiling water, instant boiling water coming out. And we're not getting involved in the malacha issue on right. TikTok, you know, turning it on, Shabbos, Yantin. That's a separate issue. But as far as hummus is concerned, um, the instant hots, I, I, well, what I do in my own house is uh, we, put, I, we I let it run through a, a minute or so of the boiling water from the inside, so that's doing their job from the inside. And then from the outside, uh, I pour boiling water from a Kushla Pesach kettle around it. Now, that's because, at least, you know, in, in our house, we don't use it for much more than uh, than coffee or tea, and uh, we, we're not big decaf drinkers, so it's, there's not any real hashash that comets may have steamed up and got onto the, uh, to the faucet. But even if it did, that would really be uh, the way to kosher it, because, it, you know, from the inside, it koshers via the hot water. From the outside, you add additional hot water. If you could turn the spigot upside down and pour that way, that is an added, uh, it's an added benefit, no question about it. But I, I think it's doable without that. Rabbi Yoel Schoenfeld with us talking about kashrus on Pesach. Uh, sometimes I think when something seems too easy, people, you know, feel, oh, well, there's not enough work to make it kashrus on Pesach, so it can't be good. You know what I'm saying? Like, when it comes to the microwave, if you follow the instructions carefully, there's a process. 24 hours, 10 minutes, and there's a process of what to do and how to go ahead and, and make sure that very same microwave that you use for hummus can be used for Pesach. Does it seem sometimes like it's too easy to prepare that and without and without actual flames, without actual without actual blow torches? Right. And that you know, it, it, it seems psychologically like not enough was done to make it kosher Pesach? You know, right, I always uh, cite this halachah that says that some of the women, you know, you're going back centuries, some of the women used to scratch away at the at the walls, right, to to, to try to get any hummus that might be behind some of the plaster walls. And the Shulchan Aruch says, Hanukkah, leave, you know, don't, 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 give the, don't, don't give the women a rough time. Well, first of all, it's good advice altogether. <laughs> you're only asking for it. But, uh, but it's Hanukkah because this is what they've decided to do. This is their pace up for them. Leave them alone. Leave them be. And basically, uh, when, especially when it comes to uh, uh, the house, women rule. And many of them um, just want to have it that way. They they want to have it, uh, that it's not easy. Now, uh, you know, in, uh, in my house, I see last week, my wife is throwing out all the cereal. She's giving it to the non-Jewish maid. And I said, Perry, this box is of expensive cereal. What are you giving it away for? We can, I can eat it. I can, we can sell it. She said, it's my Pesach. You stay out of this. <laughs> and I, 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 that's what you just have to do. And some women just the, you know, Pesach is their domain, and if it's going to do it the rough way, that's the way it's got to be. And you're right. A lot of them don't want to know about short, shortcuts or coolers or the way, easy way of doing things. Nonetheless, so, uh, nonetheless, when you see uh, someone selling a cell phone cover for Pesach, uh, which is, of course, not the domain exclusively of women in any which way, because everyone uses cell phones, uh, um, it, it's got to make you cringe that, that people are, are, are overextending the liabilities so to speak of the of of uh, you know of the chametz uh, of the chametz time 
And yes, that's that's the reverse to this. The reverse is that people go absolutely crazy for no reason at all. Water has to be certified for Pesach. It doesn't have to be. People, people, uh, as you stated, people don't feel they have Pesach. They feel guilty about not having Pesach unless they really, you know, see blood coming out of their knuckles. <laughs> and uh, and it's uh, it's it, it really does not have to be the way. In, in, in later years, Rav Scheinberg actually uh, pioneered this, but many have. The idea that ladies, you don't have to kill yourself for Pesach, but... Um, and, but people go crazy with some of the Pesach things. And Alibi, we should pay uh, as, as close attention to some of the real things that, that ail our society during the course of the year. Oh, no but question about that. What are you going to do? <clears throat> no question about that. Rabbi Yoel Schoenfeld is talking about Pesach and preparing for Pesach. I'm reading about refrigerators. It says today's refrigerators can have all types of electronic readouts that illuminate when the door is open. Those are the quote-unquote Shabbos mode will disable the readouts or the functions will continue as normal. What does that mean, that the functions continue as normal, that it would be a halachic problem? Yeah, because some of them do have readouts. Like we said before, everything is digital. So it's going to tell you the temperature, the optimum temperature for this and the optimum temperature for that. And they're all kind of readouts when you you open up a a late model refrigerator. So uh, for Shabbos and the weekly Ah, you know, not, not Pesach, obviously, but throughout the year, we have our Shabbos concerns. And really, if you're going to get one of those model refrigerators, you got to get it from somebody who knows this model, knows how to overcome the model. And there are certain agencies that give hashkafas to these kinds of refrigerators. Um, and but you got to deal with somebody who's selling it to you from a, from a reliable person who, who knows, look, you got a problem with this one, but here's how you can overcome it. Or don't buy this refrigerator, he'll tell you. So um, Or the oven. So, yeah, it makes things complex. There's no question about it. So Shabbos modes and, and you know, relatively modern inventions, uh, which are supposed to make all of this easier and are supposed to function for us in a way that will, you know, allow us to use the most um, uh, modern appliances possible, some of them are going to be problematic. Oh, uh, yes, and we're finding that out the hard way, uh, that some of them, even even with Hushkoff and some reputable agencies, uh, they, they missed something. They just missed it. They didn't catch it. And some guy in the yeshiva in Lakewood opened up his door uh, to the oven, and he sees, oh, my gosh, this light is going on. What, what is this all about? And uh, so they, uh, the agency was put a little bit flat with the OU investigated and uh, found, indeed, it's a problem. So, um, you know, we're all human beings. We're subject to mistakes, and the technology is, is, is uh, advancing at a, at a faster pace than we can keep up with it. Well, so, um, maybe, that's, we got a problem. maybe that's the problem. They're not sending anybody from Lakewood to consult on the project. It could very well be. They probably do. All they need is just a, a homemaker who looks into the oven, you know, and not just uh, discussing it in theory. Right. Someone who actually uh, either uses it or, at the minimum, investigates, and they, you know, they know right. what their needs are and exactly what they uh, what they needed to do. Uh, and finally, I noticed that the, you actually, or I should say, the OU has actually printed on one of its pages this year. I think this is new. Some of the current models uh, discussing, you know, comments on the ranges, on the refrigerators, on the different, uh, you know, the wall ovens, etc., commenting on what people need to look out for on each one. So I guess as the uh, as the, um, the products are made and as they're released to the public, people are, you know, finding out what's right and what's wrong, and they're commenting and, and letting everybody else know about it. I think it's the first time the OU's actually printed a list like this, to my recollection. I, I, I do believe you're right about that. Uh, I don't recall in past years of anything like that. But uh, they realized uh, the necessity to do this, so they, they are uh, they're addressing it.
Yeah, on one of the uh, GE models, it says the gas can turn off if the door is left open for more than a few seconds, even in Sabbath mode. And the comment is, only open the door when the fire is on and take the food out quickly. So it takes some yeah, adjustment. Yeah, you know, you got to be an acrobat sometimes to, to just to, to put, pull something out of the oven. No, it's um, not a joke. Not a yeah, joke at all. It's, it's, that's what we're facing. That's why I don't, I'm, a, I'm an old guy. I'm an old guard guy. I, You know, the 1820 models was good for my grandmother. It's good for me, but... Um, not everybody. A lot, lot less problem. Not everybody agrees. I still. I'm talking to you right now. Uh, nothing from a flip phone. <laughs> and wherever I go, I get grief. I get get into the century. Well, that is hard but to it, believe, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Rabbi Schoenfeld, great job on JM and the M. Great job with us now. Greatly appreciated. Have a wonderful, happy, kosher, and healthy Pesach. And uh, we should continue to admire those who are going uh, to the nth degree to make sure the holiday is as proper as possible. Amen. Thank Take you so care. much. Rabbinic coordinator at the OU for over 30 years, Rabbi the Young Israel of Kew Gardens Hills, and of course somebody who has spearheaded our JM and the AM, uh, our JM and the AM uh, Pesach Products program each and every year. It's Rabbi Yoel Schoenfeld here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You're listening to the OU Jewish Reaction Show. <laughs>
It's the OU Jewish Reaction Show, and Maury Litwack is with us live via telephone. He is the uh, he is the director of state political affairs at the OU Advocacy Center, and uh, joins us with uh, a couple of uh, new developments that we should be aware of. Maury, welcome back to the Nachum Siegel Network. Well, good to uh, good to speak with you. It's a pleasure being uh, here. We're a little bit pre-Pesach, so a pleasure to be on the uh, program. I appreciate that very much. Yes, pre-Pesach is an interesting time, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, I'm, it, I'm avoiding cleaning, so we're good. <laughs> Very good. An interesting time. All right. Uh, up in uh, up in the New York State House, always an interesting time. Uh, tell us uh, what has happened recently that should have caught the ear of those who are uh, concerned about our children and their safety. Well, listen. In a couple of years back, I think I've been on, on the program before. I talked about the fact that historically, uh, the, the idea of funding for Jewish education or for non-public school education has really been uh, a four-letter word in state houses, and state houses are where you need uh, the most money comes for education. And uh, back in 2012, we, we banded together a bunch of the yeshiva and day schools to, for the first time ever, have a centralized one-issue advocacy like you have the NRA for guns and you have APAC for pro-Israel work and the AARP for seniors. You have, we, we worked on something called OU Teach NYS, which is singularly focused on getting more money for yeshivas. And since then, we not only have delivered um, really what amounts to hundreds of millions of dollars in new funding for, uh, for our yeshivas and day schools, but this year we were able to deliver, I think, three big ticket items uh, in, 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 uh, in new funding as well. And those three would be? Those three would be as follows. We received over uh, $60 million coming next year in new funding going straight into non-public schools. Uh, which is more money for programs that the schools rely upon, such as uh, mandated services, things that the state mandates to them, uh, that the schools are obligated to pay in, but the school, but the school obligations that the state is obligated to make in terms of payments. So if a school does take the regents and other things of that nature, the state has an obligation to pay them. So we, we, we got money back for programs like that. Uh, number two, and really the most money at this point has ever been delivered to these programs. We've grown them to historically high uh, levels. Uh, number two, we got uh, security funding increase this year, this coming year for Yeshiva and Day Schools. Uh, when we pulled Yeshiva and Day Schools, the number one thing they said they need, the number one thing the government can help them with is security funding. Uh, not only did they increase the security funding for non-public schools, uh, but they also uh, changed the language to allow for the money to be used for personnel as well, which is for items like guards, which again is something that so many Yeshivas and day schools simply do not have. And then finally, for the first time ever, we created an office of independent and religious schools, which is a big deal simply because it is a state's recognition that they have an obligation uh, to our children. And now for those, those out there who say, who say uh, um, you know, does, it, does, does, the state, does the state really care about our kids? Is, is this a sign that things are changing? I think it is, because not only is this, this recognition and a creation of an independent office for our school through the state uh, ed department, but we actually got more money uh, allocated to us than the charter schools did this year, which I think as well is a historic sort of recognition of the non-public school and the yeshiva's roles in New York uh, state education. Maury Litwack is with us. Is there a way for you to describe what type of victory these three things are? I know you just said that obviously it's a... It's a, uh, it shows us that Albany cares and there's a recognition of our schools, but 
In addition to that, could you tell us how different things are in terms of the atmosphere when it comes to these types of things compared to five, ten years ago? Why this is so significant? Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think I always talk about uh, the problem with the the, uh, the with this topic, uh, and I use the three eyes to describe them, which is historically ten, twenty years ago there was there was ideology was a problem, infrastructure was a problem, and the issues themselves were often a problem in the sense that the ideology was that if you're coming to the state house to ask for money, you must be asking for vouchers. And vouchers, according to those, those in the teachers' union and other groups, were, were an attempt to take money from the public schools. And then when we would, we would do this, the infrastructure that we had at the time 10, 20 years ago was one or two rabbis or other people schlepping up to Albany, schlepping to places like Trenton, et cetera, and they were the representatives for the community. And then the issues themselves, we often found that the community was not being represented on these issues whereby a school in Riverdale would receive money just as a school in Brooklyn may receive money or that a right-wing school would receive money uh, um, and a left-wing school would receive money as well. So what we've done, that was sort of the historic environment. What we've done in the last four or five years to really change this and reach historically high-level numbers funding is to change and attack those three things. So that the ideology has shifted from vouchers to a grocery list of things that we've gone after, whether it's security funding or it's money for uh, paying us to, for nursing or for software or hardware or library loan or textbook loan, a variety of other things, that any legislator will say to you, okay, I can't support vouchers, but I can't support X, Y, or Z on that list. When the infrastructure that we've done has completely changed from it being myself or a couple other people in the halls of, of, of the Capitol to having the best paid lobbyists we could have, the best consultants and people on staff, and, and really hiring the same people who you see will advocate for the finance industry or major corporations in Albany advocating on behalf of our, our kids. And then finally, on the issues, we, we go after issues which we know will benefit not just our kids but also the Catholic community because we want to be credible partners, but we also want to galvanize the, the, the over 150,000 Jewish children that are in New York state politics, which are now larger in New York City than the Catholic community is. Wow, interesting. Maury Litwack is with us talking about the state budget and the monies allocated. So the 2017 budget, you're saying for non-public schools, it'll be a total of $60 million, correct? No, the total, the total, the total budget for non-public schools will be over $215 million. But the 60 was for the mandated services and essentials, right? Yeah, 60, was, 60, was, 60 was basically the increased, the increased uh, amount. I like, to, I like to work, anybody who knows me and knows our team, we like to win. And so we like to fo focus on what our most recent win uh, was. So we like to increase that money, and that's our obligation as an institution uh, to the schools, to to increase that money every year because, as we know, tuition goes up. And we should assume, or at least we should hope, that with the same effort it will be going up each year, right? Well, yeah, hopefully the money for the government, not the tuition. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> that's what I meant. And then uh, the security funding, I mean, I, I assume you've seen some schools who've really put this into action right away and have gone ahead and hired the security guards they needed, have gone ahead and put in security systems they needed. I, I would guess that you already have anecdotal evidence that schools are going ahead and making a big difference in that area in their school. Yeah, I would, I would say that, that, that this year was a real big security win across the board because um, we have, uh, um, obviously people know, you know, Nathan Diamond, who's, who's, who's our, 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 our man in Washington, and, and, and my colleague is, has been incredible in getting the historic federal funding for both schools and schools. Uh, you know, he was really spearheading.
Security over a decade ago, he really created a program that still benefits uh, schools and schools, so there's money for that. And then on the statewide in New York, we're very, very proud of the fact that we were the leading entity to go after the money and the security guards that are now going to be coming um, in New York City politics. So that if you're in New York City school, you're receiving, um, not only are you receiving this money from the state, but you're also going to be receiving guards that were championed by uh, the incredible Councilman David Greenfield. Uh, so we're, we're very proud of that effort as well. And then finally, this state money that I spoke about, it, it's so important that the money go up because we see schools conduct all the time and say uh, they want locks for the schools. Parents call us all the time and say they need cameras. Um, and, and even grandparents, I've had calls from grandparents who say, you know, I heard about X, Y, or Z um, uh, bomb threat in my area. You know, what are we doing for our kids' schools? So I was in, I was in New Jersey uh, last week, and um, Gary Sher, who I, I know you're familiar with, who's sure. the budget chairman, he said that he, you know, he's one of the leading champions for security in New Jersey uh, and for our kids in New Jersey as well. He made an interesting statement, which he said, listen, we have this, the, I would say he said that even before providing education, a state has an obligation to secure and provide safety to its citizens. So through these types of initiatives, we've, we've not only made our schools more secure, but the state recognizes that it has an obligation to take care of our kids. Hmm, interesting. Uh, who I would have imagined that we'd get to this point where the state governments would recognize how important it is to take care of everybody because it, it seems that it, that was never the attitude, certainly not 10 years ago, that was never the attitude in state government that private schools was was in any way their jurisdiction. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, we've talked about this previously, and I, I, just, I just think that the so much of this has come down to our community taking the importance of, of, of influence on the state and local level more seriously. But I have to tell you that we've achieved this, and we've, again, like, as I repeat at the beginning of this conversation, historic levels of funding and more funding than yeshivas ever received previously, but we've, we've achieved this because a percentage of the community has written to the state, their state and local politicians. They've voted, they've engaged with them, sometimes they've yelled at them, but they've done those types of things which we've seen so successfully on the pro-Israel side in our community, they've done that a, a, at least to a degree, but it's really a drop in the bucket, and I have to tell you that if our community were to put even 10% of the activity that they do in the engagement where you see 18,000 people traveling to Washington for um, APAC, uh, you know, if we were to even put 10% of that into these state and local efforts, the return for the community in terms of money coming back for the yeshivas and services coming back for our kids is just astronomical. The proof of concept is there. It's just a question of how far our community is willing to go in terms of resources and effort to deliver. But the proof of concept is there, and 10 years ago it wasn't there. Non-religious schools through the Office of Independent and, uh, and, and Religious Schools, those that are not religious in that, in that office, in that department, I assume they've, they've enjoyed the same success. They've enjoyed the same type of uh, benefits that the state government provides us. Yeah, well, I'm, an, I'm an equal opportunity uh, partner. Every, every non-public school lo- loves us. Yeah, I can only imagine. And uh, what else could we expect from that uh, from that partnership? Could we expect more activities and more uh, more effectiveness in Albany? Well, I think I think again, this goes to this goes to some of you know we, we talk about the past, and it, it, go, it goes to some of our, our community's responsibility because at the end of the day, the the I can't tell you how many people come to me and tell me, hey, well, you know, the Catholics. Or the independent schools shouldn't they really be taking the lead on this? And, and I think that the the my response to that is twofold. Number one is, as I stated earlier, in New York City we are larger than the Catholics, so there is a responsibility for us to take a leadership role. 
And my other response to it is that is that um, um, no, nobody's going to help us but ourselves. And our tuition crisis is really creating so many problems in our community uh, that we have a responsibility to take a leadership role here, even if it's not going, even if all, even if money's going to tangentially benefit other non-public schools as well. We have a responsibility to have a leadership role there. And as I mentioned e earlier, you know, one of the three big eyes, the issues, one of the reasons we historically didn't get, did, didn't. They historically didn't get it is because we didn't have a seat at the table. So there were issues that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we they may we our community may have gotten some money for, but but uh, now we're operating in the world where the legislators and politicians and the governors are looking to us as the leadership for the non-public school community and saying, okay, what 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 do you want? Because they know we're credibly going after not just money for our schools but money for the non-public school community at large. Uh, an increase of $60 million for 2017 for non-public schools for mandated services, etc. The security guards and security funding in general goes up, and the uh, Office of Independent and Religious Schools has been formed. Maury Litwack is Director of State Political Affairs. As first a student, then as a parent, I never thought we'd get to this day where the state would be helping the way they are. So, Maury, good job to you and to all your colleagues. Thank you. It was a pleasure uh, being on. And, uh, and if, anyone, if anyone has lots of free time on Paystop, they can ask their um, their colleagues or people in schools and others and say, hey, I heard about uh, the fact that, you, that we might be getting more money from state and local politics for yeshivas. What can I do? And I think the answer may surprise you, and I encourage everyone to do that. Thank you, Maury. You all have a wonderful Pesach. You too. Take care. More coming up. You are listening to the Nahum Siegel Network. This is the OU Jewish Reaction Show. It's the OU Jewish Reaction Show, and Shana Goldberg is with us via telephone, Director of Volunteer Services at the uh, Met Council, and um, the Met Council and OU has been volunteering to feed the needy for Pesach. The upcoming holiday, of course, starts on Friday night. Shana can give us a first-hand report about those who have been out there trying their best to find and to help those who are in need. Shana Goldberg, welcome to the Nachum Siegel Network. Hi, how's it going? Thank God, everything is wonderful. This must be a very busy week for you. Absolutely. I am sitting right now outside of a distribution in Borough Park for the Borough Park Jewish Community Council. So if you hear any honking in the background, <laughs> that's where I am. Well, if we hear honking in the background, we're just going to assume it's Borough Park. Uh, yeah. what, t tell me what goes on there. How many people will you be meeting today, and how many will be taking advantage of your services? Absolutely. So today we will be serving well over 750 families, wow. uh, but through Met Council's distributions around Pesach, we'll be meeting the needs of over 240,000 hungry New Yorkers in need, at over 120 kosher for Passover food distribution sites uh, over the last two weeks and for the next week leading up to Pesach. Um, is this the largest ever in your estimation? Uh, it's, it's definitely one of the biggest. Uh, Met Council is one of the largest kosher food networks in North America. I like to say the world. Um, and throughout the year, we provide over two, uh, over 5 million pounds of food each year. Uh, and for Passover alone, we'll distribute over 2.4 million kosher for Passover meals. Is it hard to find volunteers to help you out? Well, thanks to our partnership with the OU this year, it's been such a blessing. Um, we've partnered to have over 100 volunteers from the OU, ranging from NCS by teens to uh, every other department in the OU, and it's been really incredible. We've had over 100 volunteers from the OU help our Passover 
uh, initiatives, as well as over 150 volunteers from throughout the community helping us in different capacities. Uh, and what are some of those capacities in addition to being at the 120 sites and handing out food items? Sure. So while they're at the sites, the last two weeks especially have focused on unloading pallets, making boxes of food, getting uh, produce that we help to get uh, healthy food into people's homes, into individualized packages. Um, sometimes they'll be doing registration forms. A lot of the times they will help with Met Council's uh, huge part of our agency is our benefits access department. So they'll be screening people for social services like SNAP and other public benefits, um, as well as other programs that Matt Council and our community partners offer. We would be amazed how many people are in need in our community, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And that includes all boroughs, I would guess. Right. So we estimate that about half a million Jewish people in New York City are in need. Wow. Uh, what happens during the year? What happens when it's not a week or two before Passover? All year we distribute food throughout the five boroughs. Met Council offers uh, social services to seniors, uh, family violence uh, services, uh, public benefits access, housing, as well as a program that we're really excited about called Project MetroCare, which is free handyman services for seniors in the five boroughs. Oh, that must be very helpful to a lot of people. Absolutely, and it's a very unique program that we're really proud of. Um, in general, I mean, obviously the volunteer effort now, including what you mentioned in regard to the partnership with the OU, is very valuable and important and very necessary right. because of the volume of work that has to be done now before Pesach. Uh, people who want to volunteer during the year, what should they do? Sure, so they can check out our website at www.metcouncil.org slash volunteer, or they can email us at volunteer at metcouncil.org. We have volunteering opportunities for groups and individuals of all ages, um, and we can really kind of utilize volunteers in a lot of different ways to meet the needs of our agency and build capacity of both our agency and other UJA Federation Network agencies. Um, we also partner a lot with Food Bank of New York City, all of the Jewish Community Councils that we partner with, um, and all of our incredible funders. Uh, we actually have a really exciting goal. We're very close to reaching the goal of over 20,000 volunteer hours wow. uh, by the end of the year. I think with Paytalk, we've reached it, but I haven't recalculated since I've been out in the field for the last two weeks uh, schlepping food back and forth. <laughs> Shana Goldberg is with us, Director of Volunteer Services at Met Council. They partner with the OU to feed the needy for Pesach. And these couple of weeks before the holiday have been very busy, as you can imagine. Uh, Met Council still steps in when people need emergency help to pay bills and to keep electricity on and things like that? Absolutely. So if anyone is uh, needs food or other assistance, they can call our incredible crisis hotline, um, which they can call 212 453 Three nine. One more time. Two one two four five three nine five three nine. That's Met Council's crisis hotline. So we can provide social services, and they'll direct you to either a local source or our main office in Manhattan. And you're uh, and you're and you're often redirecting people to those that could help them in a specific area. Correct. And not everything is done by Met Council. Exactly. Absolutely. So we work hard to refer people throughout the New York City area and partner very closely with the city 
and state to make sure that whoever needs services gets what they need. And you still partner or in charge of JCCs and UJCs and things like that around the city? Absolutely. So our network of Jewish community councils and other uh, connected network agencies is a really crucial part of the work that we do here, especially especially with our food distribution and around the holidays. Like I said, we have over 120 distribution sites citywide uh, over the last two weeks and for the next week leading up to Pesach, which starts on Friday, April 22nd. Shana Goldberg, Director of Volunteer Services at Met Council. Phone number and the hotline is 212-453-9539. That's 212-453-9539. She's speaking to us from uh, a site that will uh, help 750 families just from this one distribution where she is in Brooklyn, New York right now. And there are over 120 sites servicing close to a quarter of a million people during this holiday season before Pesach. Shana, anything you'd like to add? No, we're, we're incredibly thankful, and thanks for having us on the air. We, if anyone's interested in volunteering, shoot us an email. Uh, and if you know anyone in need, think of Met Council and our partner agencies. And that goes year-round, not just uh, now during the pre Absolutely, year-round, our Kosher Food Network uh, gives, distributes over 5 million pounds of food each year. Uh, and just a lot of it happens around the holidays, but it is absolutely year-round. You can check out our website, netcouncil.org. Uh, to connect to either one of our our uh, affiliate sites or directly to Met Council. Shana, thanks so much, and call out a vote for what you've done before the holiday for so many people in New York. Thank you so much. Hag Sameach. Hag Sameach. Uh, Shana Goldberg, Director of Volunteer Services. You heard her mention she's with Met Council, but the partnership with the OU has brought forth many, many volunteers to, uh, to help and participate in the pre-Pesach program to help people around New York City. And that is something that continues all year round with their incredible number of volunteer hours that are put together on an annual basis. I want to thank all of our guests for participating in the OU Jewish Reaction Show. We learned something about Pesach, we learned something about politics, and we learned something about volunteering all through this hour. OU Jewish Reaction Show brought to you every single Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.